Ah, yes, friends. On a Tuesday, we welcome back to OGP One Giant Podcast, where I am Adam Armbrecht. And over there is the healthy, the wealthy, the the wise, the jet-lagged, the defeated, the demoralized, the exhausted. Mr. Andrew Makowitz, sir. We're going to get into it, obviously, the Monday football game with the Buccaneers. Talk about the game. And then already changes have been made coming out of it for the coaching staff. Did we learn anything about this team, the players going forward? All that good stuff. But how are you, man on the ground, right? Man on the ground, firsthand experience in Tampa, Florida, as the uh, the Giants fell tw- uh, 30, excuse me, get 20. That would have been lovely. 30 to 10 to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, so... Uh... 5 a.m. wake up call this morning to uh, to be able to get out of Tampa and back home home now um, was in Raymond James Stadium last night for that debacle that we all witnessed. But you know what I realized, Adam, like a true pro, I needed to make sure that we got on today and recorded the pod because I'll get a little teaser for you. There was uh, a famous uh, sports personality sitting two rows away from me on the flight back from Tampa. Did you my, have any guess? My. Um, was it was it Jason Garrett? <laughs> uh, no, but this guy uh, was one of the first people to break the news about uh, Jason Garrett, which we'll get into. And uh, he shares your first name. Mr. Adam Schefter was uh, sitting right next to me uh, on the plane, basically. So shout out to Adam. Big listener to the show. Big fan. So I, I was going to say it goes without saying, obviously, huge listener. Um, and in some ways, I was going to get on early. You were on the flight. I know uh, Adam, first name basis, no last name needed, uh, was going to give us the breaking story. Unfortunately, time, time just did not align for that opportunity. Um, all right. So let's start with then after you rub elbows with the big wigs at uh, 30,000 feet, we'll say just in general, what was seeing it firsthand, the giants come out there. There's a couple of plays in this game that, give you some glimmers of hope, a, a lucky bounce off the helmet interception for the defense, et cetera. But well, just in general, what was it fun to get be down there? Were you able to have a good time in spite of the fact that the giants fairly quickly didn't give you a ton to be optimistic about this one? It was 75 degrees and sunny Adam. Oh, that's so right. like, let's just start out with whatever the product was that was on the field. At least when you're hanging out before the game, playing some cornhole, having a couple of, of cold beers. They got the flat screen TVs out there with the pregame on, mm-hmm. you know, mu- music's going, you know, we're 50 yards away from the stadium. Life was good. And then the game started and life was not so good. And, you know, the, the short end of it, Adam, it, it is Tampa gets, you know, the Giants win the toss and they defer and they give Tampa the ball. And every single time Tampa uh, got the ball and started moving it down the field, it would be generally surprising if they didn't pick up first downs. Yeah. Like I'm sitting there and like every single snap, I'm like, they're going to pick up this first down. Brady's going to find someone that's wide open. And every single time they did. And conversely, when the giants get the ball, it feels like there's no way we're going to be able to pick up this, this first down. Like it's third and seven. I'm like, how are we ever going to pick this up? And it feels like the Giants are laboring to try to even get like three, four, five yards of play while Tom Brady is picking apart our defense and our secondary. Of course. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think that this game, you know, we, we talked about it the last few episodes, uh, you know, winning being 500 over your last six games. But you look at, at what point and, and what the team was on the field for the Carolina Panthers, the state of the, of the Kansas City Chiefs when you almost beat them, what the Raiders are going through, right? You come into this game 
and off a two-game losing streak, obviously, for the Buccaneers. You just you get this sense of it's going to be an uphill battle. And one of the things that we talked about coming into it, I had said, listen, there's a lot of different things you can think about. And stopping Tom Brady is obviously a, a big one in this in this offense. But I said, you got to be able to check the box of stopping the running game, right? You just have to do one thing for sure and then see how the rest of it plays out. And throughout this game, right, you give up the chunk plays, you give up the underneath passes, but everything was consistent for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, you know, you even had the turnover from Tom Brady in this one. When you go inside the numbers, though, and I'm just I'm hearkening back to the key point that I had I had thought could have been an area where the Giants started there and then built out from it. Right. You end up giving up 10 carries for 35 yards to Fournette. It's not eh, 3.5 yards. No big deal. But you also give up eight carries for 33 yards to Ronald Jones. You give up a you give up a scramble by Tom Brady for a first down, right? Mike Evans gets a little running play in. By the end of it, it's 94 rushing yards, and it doesn't even account for the handful of passes. Fournette caught six balls for 39 yards out of the backfield. A lot of these are the swing passes, right? A lot of these things are the proverbial extended run play. I just thought the Giants did not look like I, it's hard. Because we understand kind of where the league is right now, that bend, don't break mentality, make a team earn it. But when you think about, and they said a lot of this, I think a lot of people mentioned this after the broadcast, is you think about Tom Brady versus Derek Carr, right? Or Tom Brady even versus a Patrick Mahomes, a younger quarterback with a lot of talent who's who's capable of getting frustrated and wants to make something happen. Tom Brady wasn't going to do that. Fairly methodical, consistent, take it, take it, take it, take it, touchdown here, field goal there, touchdown here. And it just... It just, it, there was never a point in this game, I, I think, beyond the what, when it, it, you know, when it was 17 10, it might as well have been 31 to 7. I think at that point, there was a brief glimmer there where you thought it was possible, but the Giants just did, they didn't have it in them. And we're going to get into kind of the bigger picture here. But one of the things that I look back on is going forward on that fourth down play. I know you and I talk about this a lot, right? You got to go for it, you got to know the opponent, what it's going to take. But it's interesting. The Giants go for it. They were in field goal range at that point. They don't get it. Goes back the other way. Touchdown. The margin starts to spread. And at one point, when you're sitting there saying you're down 11, now you're down 14 instead of, right? You could have been down 11. Now you're down 14. I know it's just a two-score game. It's two touchdowns versus all the other the metrics you have to go by. But it's a delicate balance for a team like the Giants when you've had so many sample sizes this year of, if things don't break right for us at every turn, we're going to have a hard time winning games. And should they be able to get that fourth down? Maybe. But they don't, and, and that's the first of several gut punches that I think it just it steals some of that energy for this team, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. For whatever they did or didn't do, the defense does try to show up with consistency. We'll get into personnel pieces. I, I think it's a, it was a tall order. It was a tall order. That, that That's all there is to it. And... 30 to 10, listen, could it have been 41? Probably, right? And and should the Giants have also been able to score and move the ball more effectively against that Tampa defense? Of course they should have. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned a lot of different little nuggets there, Adam. And, and the, yeah. one, the one that I'd like to pull out here is you talk about that fourth down play. It, it In this day and age of the NFL, it's an absolute must to go for that in that situation. And it's it's twofold. It's one is the Giants haven't been able to have sustained drives, and you have to, while you're in plus territory, try to take advantage of it and put seven points up. And the reason why you have to put seven points up is because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are scoring on your defense however they want, whenever they want. They scored 30 points in this game. Did you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers average 
31 points a game, as we talked about on the on the previous pod. So you kind of know what the watermark is for the Giants. It's like even if our defense plays pretty well, we still as an offense have to put up 20 to 24 points to be able to really be in this game. And so that was the real problem. The, the, I mean, uh, the defense was getting shredded. The interception that that Adore Jackson ended up getting was a deflection off of Mike Evans, completely Mike Evans' fault. And without that that touchdown to Andrew Thomas out of nowhere, where the where the drive has to go ten yards, the Giants' offense took the ball, kicked a field goal, and really didn't do anything else with the ball the rest of the game. But, but you, so and quickly, because then I want to get into the, the beyond this game, right? The Giants are, are now three and seven through ten games. A lot a lot of negative around this team right now. But but you don't feel like coming out there out of halftime. To your point, the team has struggled moving the ball. Short field, they got the touchdown. Okay, but I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time with it. I, I get what you're, I get your point, and you're almost probably you're almost certainly right. I think most people are probably right. Always go for it. Always go for it. But you were able to move the ball effectively enough to get yourself three points. That would have made it a 17-13 game at that point. Like it's hard for me to sit there at that stage of the game. I get it, but. You know, is it hard to say, well, now that you're down 17 points, now you got to go for it, of course, right? Much easier. And we saw the Giants try to do that. Didn't work, didn't work in those opportunities later either. But it, it is just a little tricky for me because when you're good teams that go for it a lot, have success a lot on fourth downs, average teams, they struggle a little more and bad teams almost never get it. And the Giants are at best a bad to maybe average team or hopeful to be average. And it feels like, maybe you take away the reward of a successful drive that got you into scoring position. And now you come away with nothing. You give it back to Tampa who has been effective and boom, just like, just like that they score. And now the gap widens and immediately after that possession, now you are down the two scores. Now you are switching your offensive game plan and you're changing your whole mentality. There's just win or lose here. There's a world where you take that field goal, be 17, 13, give up a touchdown. Have it be, or you know, have it be twenty-four to thirteen, and then see what the next offensive drive could look like for you. It seems counterintuitive or counterproductive, Adam, but the fact that the Giants are one of the worst red zone teams to score means that they almost have to go for it more on fourth down than everyone else. And no, knowing that if these teams play pound for pound, regular, you know, straight up football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are more talented than the Giants. They're going to win that game. So 100%. the Giants. The Giants are already behind the eight ball having to take these risks. Like, and that's how these upsets happen is an underdog team takes two or three bit risks, you know, fakes a punt, goes for it on fourth down. They're like applying as much pressure as possible because that's their only counter. And that's really what the Giants counter was going to be because yeah, they, they really didn't move the ball very well at all last night. Mm -hmm. And you could feel, you know, you know, pro tip exclusive report from the stadium, Adam, you could just feel that every time the Giants got the ball, it was surprising when they were picking up first downs. Like that's just how it felt. Yeah. So no, it was, listen, it was not the kind of performance you were hoping for, even just from an entertainment, from a value standpoint, it just wasn't that entertaining. The, the Manning brothers way, by the way, on their cast were literally begging their guests to fill some dead air for them. They were having a hard time themselves as well. Let's move on though, because the Giants lose this game. You, you, we've, I've, I've been having some fun picking the Giants every single week, and I'll probably continue to do it because it's good for a lark. But I didn't have a ton of optimism in here. Already changes though, uh, for this coaching staff coming out of this game. You, you can have the floor. You've talked about Jason Garrett a lot before. I, um, I, I'm not going to disagree necessarily. I don't disagree with the change. Um, but I do feel like this is the pound of flesh that you that <clears throat> this is the pound of flesh you give 
when the wheels feel like they're coming off. And this happens with teams all around the league year in and year out. When things aren't going the way you thought you were going to, you start to look around for who's the guy to blame. Jason Garrett relieved of his offensive play calling duties. Do do you feel like this is, well, I'll put it this way. Do you think this is too little too late? Would you have preferred to have seen this two or three weeks sooner? There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this should have been made before the bye week. Like that, that just shows the level of dysfunction that we have right now in this organization is you have two weeks to prepare for Tampa Bay. You can come up with any crazy schemes and game plans you want on offense to get creative, to get Kenny Galladay the ball, to do things like get Saquon Barkley active early. And they just, they floundered. It was terrible, Adam. And yeah, I'll tell you this walking out of the stadium, sitting with a bunch of giant fans, our, our section was, was filled with giant fans. Everyone's looking at each other saying the offense is broken and Jason Garrett has to go. And that as everyone's going down the escalator, all giant fans are saying Garrett has to go. I, you know, I flip open Twitter when I get out into the parking lot and everyone else there, that's, you know, beat writers and media are like, this one just feels a little different than the other complaining that we've had as giant fans before. Like there is something behind this. And it's, it's the fact that Jason Garrett, uh, here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say to you. I don't put all of this on Jason Garrett. And I also don't think he's necessarily a scapegoat. What I think we have realized is that Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator with Daniel Jones as the quarterback is not a good combination and does not work. It doesn't because we've seen it for two years, Adam, and they've scored 30 points once in two years. Mm-hmm. Remember, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers averaged 31 points a game. We've gotten over 30 points once in two years, and it was in a loss. And so for me, once you realize that Jason Garrett's style of play, play calling conservativeness doesn't work with the quarterback that you have, and you as well, we figure out this quarterback is going to be around long term, like you, you immediately make the move, you dismiss the offensive coordinator, and you say, hey, Freddie Kitchens, get creative. Use a broad paint paintbrush and 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 build me a Picasso. Air it out. Do whatever you want. But here's what I need to tell you, Freddie Kitchens. We need to know if if Daniel Jones is the guy. And right now, the way that the plays are being called by Jason Garrett, I don't think that the Giants organization feels like they have that answer. And that's fair. We're get, I want to get into the players in a second. Do you think? But then, so then, do you think that the Giants? You said the organization is dysfunctional. It's not working. It's not effective. The coaching staff. How much of that then falls at the feet of Joe Judge? Because we're, we're getting into this place of you, you know what who who can stay, who can go, right? Where does the problem lie? Is this a trickle down effect of John Mara, who's loyal to coaches, loyal to players, loyal to people that he's known through the organization? Is that a part? Is that a part of Joe Judge's DNA? He didn't select Jason Garrett to be his offense coordinator, but do you think that that he believed? Because there's a hard time for me. This is where I push back on the idea of Giants fans saying ah, this Jason Garrett, that dirty sob. He's the one that's been the root of all of our problems, and you're not saying that, you know, to, to the full extent of it, but. At a certain point, I go, right, but these guys are all in the room together. Like, if this isn't, you know, the idea that Jason Garrett is in the Giants facility going, hey, Joe Judge, why don't you shut your mouth and I'll tell you what we do on offense. This is a collaborative effort, and that's the product that gets put out on the field. So, you know, whether whether you think it should be solely Garrett, whether someone falls at Joe Judge, and then even if you're going to go to catch hints, then you're still handing it over to the guy who Joe Judge knows and he likes. It just... It's hard for me to say that this offense is predicated solely on the decision-making of Jason Garrett and not Joe Judge, obviously, as the head coach, and not Freddie Kitchens, who has experience, right? Like, 
I, I have a hard, I, I, this just feels like the classic time when you're a three and seven team, everyone's fed up and you go, well, it, obviously it was Jason Garrett all along. Well, and so that's what a lot of people were talking about as Jason Garrett being the, the scapegoat. But you look at like, um, the, like the, the even the, the scheme that was being run and like you watch the all 22 tape. I don't know if I watched a little bit of some of that on the flight and like, the routes that the, that they had in the route tree had like three guys running into each other in the middle of the field. And, and of course, Daniel Jones has nowhere to throw it. It's, it's, it's the lack of awareness of utilizing each one of the talents that you have in the best way possible. And, and that that's the problem is that I, I don't think that Jason Garrett's a bad coach. I I've talked to friends that are Cowboy fans and they said, Jason Garrett, you're never going to be super excited about it. You're never going to be, be completely out of it, but he's always going to call the most ultra conservative game known to man. And what we're realizing is that doesn't work with Daniel Jones. And guess what? A new scheme may not work as well, but you have yeah. to try something different because it's just oil and water right now. And we're, we're scoring 10 points a game. Like oh, and in this, it. in this day, in this NFL, you can't score 10 points a game and have a shot at winning. No, and that and that's the fair piece of it. it it's like because that's why I say like I'm fine to move on from Jason Garrett, right? I'm fine to see if Freddie Kitchens can do something. Um, but as we kind of turn our attention over to the roster, I'll tell you right now. Guess what? Uh, first of all, in those route combinations, you know what that's a result of? That is our route combination. There's no world where Jason Garrett, an experienced NFL coordinator, says, you know what the route's going to look like? I want to have three idiots hit into each other in the middle of the field. Uh, you go around, a lot, of, a lot of different people around the NFL have talked about this. What that is is Tampa Bay. That, that 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 route combination is a is a typical route combination that NFL teams all run. So it's it's crosses over the middle with two wide receivers and then a third or a tight end because Evan Ingram was involved in the pile up there too is running a slightly deeper route that gets you over top of that first layer of the defense and in front of the safeties. But Tampa forces those routes to get a little bit jumbled up, and this gets to the next point is that and this goes across the whole roster. But I'm going to get specifically to Daniel Jones in a second. That this is about why wasn't Kadarius Tony playing immediately from the word go? You hear about this a lot of NFL players, not a knock on Tony. NFL acumen, understanding the playbook, knowing where the route combinations are, are supposed to go. Inside of that jumble is also Evan Ingram, a guy that we've notoriously said, right? Enormous athletic talent. There's no indication when fans cried for him to be put on the outside and played as a as a deep threat wide receiver. There's nothing suggests that he's a fantastic route route runner. No, nothing suggests that he is an elite. NFL mind when it comes to understanding playbooks. So I know that's the easy one to point to, but that's a result of what the defense did and the players not understanding how to adjust off of that in real time, which does, by the way, put Daniel Jones in a really bad spot trying to throw into a jumble of traffic and players. No idea what's going to happen. That, that That's that piece of it. But go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say was, I, I think you're you're spot on on some of this, and that and that's fair. They, they did they did funnel the players all into each other, but the the problem is 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 when you see when they're actually getting funneled, they're already tackling Daniel Jones before the the route has even been completed. Like he he did, Daniel Jones didn't even have enough time to to throw the ball to anyone, even if they were weren't crashing into each other in the middle of the field. He was he was bombarded at Adam. They said uh, Daniel Jones was pressured on 48% of his drop back passes in this in this in this game. Every other one he he had someone in his face before the routes were even able to go. And, and you know, compare that to Tom Brady, 17% of his drop back. So it's like three times more pressure is being put on Daniel Jones than is being put on Tom Brady. And it was noticeable. Like 
Tom Brady had the cleanest pocket I have ever seen. He was patting the ball. I think he was prepping his uh, Thanksgiving turkey back there, brining it, basting it, doing everything that he needs to, and he's firing it out to Gronk. He had like eight seconds on one play where Gronk came all the way across the field and, and did that crossing route. It felt like every time Daniel Jones dropped back, the offensive line was playing horrific. If Nate Solder wasn't falling over, it was it was Will Hernandez, you know, basically saying ole and letting people run run by him. It was that was the worst offensive line play that I have seen the Giants have to date, Adam. And it's alarming. It's like we've known that the offensive line has been bad for four years, and it's either one of two things: we haven't addressed it, or we our talent evaluation has been extremely poor on the offensive line. So because I, I don't want to get to that, the higher the hierarchy of, of player evaluation and what we see from a personnel standpoint. But to your point, right, we, we said at the top there, Tampa Bay, you got JPP and you got Devin White, like the talent, just the, the, the talent on the defensive side of the ball. That that out that can overcome things like not being so great in pass coverage, et cetera. But here, here's the thing for me. First of all, offensive line play. That's what that that's something that's out of Jason Garrett's control. I I I I can't. Ah, I disagree. I, I disagree. Uh, no. Oh, no, no. See, this is where you're a hundred percent. Well, by the way, here's the double down. Okay. Now you can be the offensive coordinator and say, you, you know where your weaknesses are. So create the opportunities to have success. But the big question that I have is number of these plays throughout the game. And this is where we get to Daniel Jones. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty close here. Like, it's probably done with Daniel Jones. And we can talk about whether or not Jason Garrett is too conservative and doesn't know how to best utilize his skill set. Even though Dak Prescott was having success in Dallas and is a mobile quarterback different to different variation, varying levels, obviously. But you've seen a guy that could have success. You can say, oh, we'll find a way to scheme it. But we talked about it previously. Matt Pert, disastrous in pass blocking, solid in run blocking. Nate Solder, solid in run blocking, disastrous in pass blocking. Will Hernandez, up and down, inconsistent. Billy Price, inconsistent. You can't scheme your way to success. It, it, you at least need to have a certain level of baseline there to build off of. Now, the double down off of that, just so we don't, and we can we, we can get back to Jason Garrett along the way here. Daniel Jones. Now you now, and this is an honest. It's an honest thought that I have about which is it. When you're designing the plays, and this would be on Jason Garrett. Is Daniel Jones too quickly drifting out of the pocket and moving himself towards the sideline? Because about a dozen times last night when he backs up and the offensive line is doing its best and he needs to buy time or find space, he slowly rolls himself to the right. And all he basically does is slowly roll himself into a corner. His decision-making is not good enough. It's not quick enough. It's not developed enough. There was the play when he tried to, he hesitated and then wanted to get the ball towards the sideline right near the end zone to Kenny Galladay, right? And ended up throwing it high over the top. Smart play, didn't want the defender to get a chance to pick it off. Problem is, from the word go on that snap, he only looks at Kenny Galladay the entire route. That is it. That's the only guy he sees. And what he doesn't see is Evan Ingram breaking at the top of his route tree, streaking into the middle of the end zone over the top of the linebacker, wide open for a touchdown. And at this stage, in your third year in the NFL, it cannot be that whether or not the offensive line play has been good enough or strong enough ahead of you. When you get the time, you got to show me you're capable of reading through your progressions. And everything that we've seen, and you can chicken or egg this with Jason Garrett, but everything that we've seen through, through Daniel Jones' career and through this season, 
is they're trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And we often say, well, the offensive line is bad, and that's why you want to get it out to the playmakers and let them do their work. It can be that. And also, you're trying to get it out of Daniel Jones' hands quickly because he's a first-route read guy. He does not work through his progressions well. He does not see what the defense is willing to give him. And when you talk about a bad defensive team against the pass in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I don't know how you can look at his stat line, especially after they got down. And then you, the, to me, this kind of proves the issues here. Now we got to open it up. And, I, and it does affect the way the defense plays you. They'll bring more pressure, et cetera. The more you start to open it up, is the more mistakes Daniel Jones makes. Try to justify him throwing that ball back across the field from right to left into the belly of a linebacker or defensive lineman when it's just pressure's coming and I'm going to I'm gonna throw it up. That was a very regressive performance from Daniel Jones. He had a sub-20 QBR in that game. At the very least, you have to look at Daniel Jones and say, there's plenty of examples I'll go into in a second of elevating the team around you. Daniel Jones is not capable of that. That, that, that's what we know so far in his career. He's not capable of taking a team and saying, you know what? I'm going to be the best player for us. I'm going to help us win this game. He can be a part of a team, but he's not the leader of a team. So Daniel Jones was terrible. He was not good. There's no, there's no sugarcoating it. You know, he has to, you know, the, the giants are so bad that they spend $20 million on a, on a wide receiver. They get two targets for 12 yards and they have to throw to their left tackle in the red zone to try to fool defenses, to try to get points because they just don't have the ability to score one-on-one mano a mano straight up, like get the ball in the end zone. Right. And that's a Jason Garrett play call. Just, you know, by the way, the guy that we're taking the play calling out of, he found a way with all of this hodgepodgeness to manufacture a touchdown in the red zone. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he found, he found a play that got him 10 yards. Great. Jason was amazing on that. Just like Daniel Jones was unbelievable on that 10 yard throw to Andrew Thomas, where he almost overthrew him. Thomas has to high point the ball oh, in the but end that's zone. Almost, but that's a great microcosm, right? It, it's, it's an effective, surprising play. First offensive lineman since 1960 for the Giants to catch a touchdown pass. It's a unique, surprising designed play. And Daniel Jones nearly overthrows him from 10 yards away. Like that's actually a perfect microcosm. Right, but, saying, if, like, but if we're going to say the play was good and it resulted in a touchdown and Daniel Jones threw the touchdown and Daniel Jones was backing up to let Andrew Thomas get off the block and, and still feathered it up there for him to get it. You you can't, you can't give Jason Garrett credit there and not Daniel Jones, but oh no, hundred percent, but there's, but there's too many, I, I think, I think we're getting to the place here though, where there's too many examples of saying, so again, and this is kind of my point. It can be a lot of things here. Like, let's go ahead and say it can be that Jason Garrett, not an effective, creative, innovative, not sure how to use the talent, et cetera. All right. Okay, okay, fine. He shouldn't be the offensive coordinator. Now it can also be, as we run this thing up the chain, it can also be that Joe Judge is not as effective an overall head coach as maybe we want him to be. I'm not fully there on him yet. And then you talk about personnel and skill sets and everything else. Like, I, I'm I'm sorry. Daniel Jones, when you see these things happen, not just this game, over the course of the first half of the season and through these first 10 games, when you see plays where you go, oh, well, there was a good play call by Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones couldn't get it done, right? Now, here's a spot where, what, what, what was that call from Jason Garrett? Why would you do that, right? And maybe sometimes Daniel Jones gets creative on it. I think because of the uneven performances, it's easy to try to label it to this or to that. But the point about Daniel Jones that I feel like we get to is here, coming into this year, what do we say? In this division alone, it was, well, obviously he's better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, journeyman. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick was, was looking pretty good until he got hurt. Then he gets replaced by an even deeper journeyman quarterback in Taylor Heineke, who's been a better quarterback this year than Daniel Jones. In Philadelphia, we talked about Jalen Hurts. Boy, aren't they certainly screwed? What are they going to do? They're going to be right back in there trying to draft a quarterback. And yet, Jalen Hurts, who has a slightly less uh, lower completion percentage than Daniel Jones this year, has still thrown for 13 touchdowns and five interceptions, not even including his rushing, right? So what's going on here? That's a second-year quarterback on a bad team in the NFL. So you, you, we can't sit here and say, ah, well, the team around them or the play caller, this or that. Nothing about Philadelphia has been sexy or productive. And yet, and I'm not even, I'm not <clears throat> putting him in Canton, but Daniel Jones right now has 12 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He's a one-up, one-down guy. I don't care how good or bad the team is around you. At some point, you have to show me that you are above. I'm not all the elite crap that everyone's talking about. Just show me that you're above average. And so far, Daniel Jones tells me that he's average. And then against good teams, he's actually below average. He can do a he can do a heck of a dance for you against mediocre to bad teams in the league. But when it comes down to the big stage, 0 and 8 on primetime performances, he doesn't have it. And we're in year three. We're midway through year three. The sample size is big enough here. And this falls to Dave Gettleman. It falls to personnel. He has two enormous blemishes, ones that we've highlighted. First one is taking of Saquon Barkley way too high, regardless of the talent. And the second one is, I think we're there now. If this, this feels so reminiscent of the New York Jets at the end of the time with Sam Darnold. You keep hanging on. You keep looking around the team, the organization. Ev, it's oh, if only, if only, what did we waste? And then Sam Darnold finally gets free of a terrible organization, and he goes to Carolina. And they brought back Cam Newton after he gets hurt, after he was spiraling, and they were bringing in an XFL quarterback to replace him. I just So, so I, listen. Daniel Jones, to me, this this game made all of us pretty sad in thinking that like it, it's it's tough to justify it. And it, and the reason why, Adam, is because you have teams like the Houston Texans who are selling off desks, tables, chairs. They they have stripped their roster down to the bones. I and they don't even better and they, quarterback than Daniel Jones. And, and and they guess what? They don't miss a beat. They still put up yards in this league. They're they're still winning games. They just beat the the number one seed the, in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans. They just took them down. Houston is trying to lose. They're trying to get assets to get better. The Giants are trying to actively win, and they're terrible. And that goes, and that's why when you talk about the the whole the whole scheme of this, yeah, Jason Garrett is not the main reason why this team is doing it, but he is a reason why, 100%. and I think that's a good distinction. But if, if you look at how this is all working out and you don't lay, lay the blame squarely at Dave Gettleman, then you're you're completely missing the plot. Because how do you sign a $20 million wide receiver knowing that you don't have either the quarterback, the offensive line, or the offensive coordinator to utilize that player? How do you get rid of your best offensive lineman from last year? Don't address it. And your line has gotten significantly worse. Mm -hmm. Do you know, Adam, that there was a Zach Ro Rosenblatt just just tweeted this out right before before we came on, and I was like, "Yep, this is perfect." Uh, so, uh, Pro Football Focus graded 191 linemen that played in Week 11. Our friend Will Hernandez was 191. 191. He was literally the worst player to step on the field, yeah. and so like. You know that was a that you know, he's a second round pick. 
He's a, he's a second round pick. And like, he's still out there. We're still peddling him as if he's something Nate Solder. Oh, he's getting, he's getting, just getting railroaded out there. Matt Skura letting people fly by him. The, the roster construction is not great. It, it, it just isn't. And there isn't much that, that you can say about it. And that's why it, Dave Gettleman can't fire himself midseason. We all know the underbelly rumors that say Dave Gettleman was likely going to step down at the end of the season, either pass the torch to Abrams or they go outside and they go search for something else. But I think what we're realizing about the rest of this season is will a different voice on the offensive side of the ball change things? Will we see a competent Daniel Jones? Will we see uh, Kenny Galladay maybe, I don't know, catch more than one pass in a game? Like, there, there are a lot of questions that Jason Garrett being at the helm wasn't going to have them answered. But at, at least this way, Adam, I think you can definitively say, you know, over the next six, seven, eight games, air. Who cares? Air it out. Go for it. Get 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 Galladay involved early. You know, get people into space. You you have to find out if Saquon Barkley is back because he doesn't look to be that same guy that he was before some of these injuries. Like it's a valuation of talent the only, time. The only guy that matters now, the only guy that matters now is Daniel Jones. That's it. Saqu- it doesn't matter. Saquon Barkley could be amazing. He cannot be amazing. It doesn't matter because because again, a, a new GM. To your point, new GM. They're not resigning Saquon Barkley. There's 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 no way. It's universally being graded as a terrible decision to draft him. And if we're saying Dave Gettleman's the problem, you're not going to carry over that guy. Maybe Daniel Jones survives, right? Maybe he survives this. The reality is you talk about all these different pieces and facets. Joe Judge did not draft Daniel Jones, right? He came in the year after. So the the most likely thing is prove or disprove that Daniel Jones is or is not the quarterback. Yes. And if he isn't, then Joe Judge can keep his job by going into the offseason and saying, I need my quarterback in here, right? Go go get me Russell Wilson. Give up three first-round picks. I want Russell Wilson. I can make it work with that guy. Go give up four first-round picks and Daniel Jones to, to Green Bay, right? Go get Aaron Rodgers. Like, at some point, we're talking about, like, this development and build-up and, and how we're going to – Get this roster going. And then all of a sudden, like, we have holes all over the roster. We're giving up 30 on defense. We're putting 10 up on offense. And and, and there's there's no – I'm not seeing any progress anywhere. No. And listen, the rest of the schedule, we're going to get out of here. We'll come, we'll come back in. Obviously, the Giants have a long way to go before this season is over. But we'll see. What are the new wrinkles that the offense brings? By the way, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me to – you're going to have to really show it to me on the field for me not to say – yeah, remember, we said the back end of the schedule was weak and you had a lot of crap teams. But when you looked around this past weekend and you saw that the Philadelphia Eagles are finding ways to win games, that the Washington football team beat the Buccaneers the week prior, right? Like these teams are finding ways to win. They're finding ways to be in the thick of it. So there's a lot of things to move here. And I'll leave you with this at the end of the day. Russell Wilson is not fixing what's wrong with this team. You'd be a much better team with him, but he's not fixing it. We've seen him be ineffective with bad offensive lines in Seattle. So if you're a New York football Giants fan, I hate to pain you with this reality, but you have to accept that until you fully commit to rebuilding this roster, you're never going to have the level of consistency you want. And because we've been so desperate, you want to just say, well, go get me Russell Wilson. We have Kenny Galladay. We have Tony. Bring back Barkley. Do all this stuff. You put yourself in financial hell for another three, four years, make yourself competitive, 
But I don't know if that means it gets you over the hump in the division, in the playoffs, in the championship mode, right? I don't know if that works for you. The bigger reality is thinking about if there isn't a quarterback in this upcoming draft, how do you set yourself up for two years from now to go get the quarterback that you like coming out of college and get yourself back on a financial footing that makes sense? Find a way to fix a broken franchise. Maybe Joe Judge is the head coach to do it. I certainly don't think that Dave Gettleman is the GM for the job. The biggest issue probably is maybe John Mara is not the owner for that job either at this point. Big, big thing to look out for, Adam. Quickly, we have the remaining games to really evaluate Daniel Jones. Like you said, this is evaluation. At the end of it, it's going to be like Gladiator. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Like, are we doing this? And Adam, key milestone, May. May is when the Giants have to decide whether they're going to pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. Fully guaranteed. These next uh, eight or nine games are going to dictate whether or not they're actually going to pick that up. So we are going to go into reality mode now, my friends. I held on as long as I could. I held on as long as I could. Join us back as we'll break down the upcoming games, obviously. We'll talk about some more takeaways. We're certainly going to hear some things this week from the Giants about what will look new on the offensive side of the ball. Everybody top to bottom coming out of this game took responsibility for it. Joe Judge, Daniel Jones, Leonard Williams on the defensive side. Everyone is still presenting accountability. Everyone is still staying together on this. We'll see if that holds up, depending on how the results come in here as we move through. Worst start, by the way. For all the bad starts, this is one of this is even worse. They're somehow managing to get further away from the destination in spite of what we thought was progress. We will, of course, be back in talking all things New York football giants. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to us over on YouTube. And I guess Andy Makowitz still wants, needs, and demands that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 